he's hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. But, no, but, but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for oh, a touchdown. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Wednesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us on what is always a very special, very emotional day at 1010XL, the Tom Coughlin J-Fun Radiothon, the 16th year we have put it on. It started, I think, when we started as a radio station back in 2007, And we have carried it all the way through, and it never ceases to amaze me, the generosity of the good men and women here in Jacksonville, Florida, and the surrounding areas. 16 years, and I have it on good authority, and we're going to bring Tom Champion in right now, that we have set an all-time record for the radio station 16 years in. Tom, you've been a part of every one of these. The generosity of the people in this community is absolutely second to none. That is the statement that describes what the Tom Coughlin J Fund is. The generosity of Jacksonville people wanting to help other people. There's been so much kindness today, so much warmth, so much caring. And the stories that we heard from people, we heard from Tom and Kelly Coughlin, it makes this the most special day of the year at 1010XL. And Just about everybody who sat in these studio chairs today has said, either on or off microphone, this is my favorite day of the year at 1010XL. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and look, I I told Rick this earlier. This was always a big day for me. But then my son was born back in 2019. And then I became a father. And, And in thinking about men and women in our community who have a young son, a young daughter that get diagnosed with this terrible, this terrible situation. And, and they're looking for help. I mean, bills are piling up. Doctor bills are piling up just to put gas in in the car to get to doctor's appointments. I mean, it just pulls at your heartstrings, man. And, and now with my son, it's just, it's taken that much up for me every year when we do this radiothon. A day like today makes you feel better about there's so much bad news. Wherever you turn on the news, it, it's negative. Today is all about positive. And it's a day of hope, really. People want to help other people. And when you see it in action, the generosity poured out as it was today, it is hopeful. Right now at 8 o'clock, $265,000 has been raised for families battling childhood cancer. Wow. We started at 7 o'clock this morning, and in one day, 265000 that's more than a quarter of a million dollars, $16,000 more than last year, which was an all-time record that we blew out of the water. And this one, right now, 16000 and. Hacker has two hours left, so if you haven't had a chance to give yet, you can do so until 10 o'clock tonight. Yeah, there are two ways to do it. Text GOAL to 243 
Text GOAL 243725 or simply go to the website tcjfund.org slash Radiothon. And I believe they can also, Tom, just go to 1010XL.com and it'll take them to the Tom Coughlin right. J Fund website. That's right. There's a link at 1010XL.com. It is, uh, it is amazing. 16 years in, you and I were talking earlier. Look, I thought when we had $18,000 in donations 16 years ago, that was incredible. And then it grows and it grows and it grows to today over a quarter of a million dollars, man. And, and like, like you said, there are certain days where all the nonsense goes away. Political party affiliation, we're a sports radio station. So orange and blue, garnet and gold, Georgia, Miami, whatever fan you are, one thing can unite us for one day, and that's no one listening to my voice right now. No one wants to see families in our community have children that are battling this disease make life for them any harder than it already is. If there's anything we can do, I mean, what is $100, $116 to most people? That's a night out on the town with your wife, right, or, or your husband or whatever. If you just take that one night away and donate, you do so much good for these families and you help them so much. I like what you said about all the teams we all root for and associate with today we're all on the same team yeah we're all wearing the j fun colors today we're all caring about the same thing and uh, here is an idea for maybe next year if this this today caught up on you and you weren't prepared for it you had a tough year start saving for next year months in advance that's what my family does we know it's coming up the wednesday after thanksgiving so couple months in advance, we're already putting money aside so that when it comes up, we already have the money saved. So there's an idea of maybe for next year so that it doesn't pinch you if you are watching a tight budget. You have done an absolutely sensational job today, and you've done a sensational job with this event for now 16 years running. A lot of work goes into this. And just, you know, for you, when you work with these families, you work with Tom Coughlin and Kelly Coughlin. I mean, you work with these folks. And the look on their faces when you make that announcement of $265,000 that's going to help these families in our community, that's got to be just an unbelievable feeling to give them that news. It's a wonderful feeling because I look at them as heroes. These are people that I admire. What they do matters every day of their life. It's their job. It's also their passion. It's in their heart. It is part of their lives. Seven days a week, they live to help other people. My goodness, you don't find better motivation than that. So to see a day like this light them up with joy and excitement and enthusiasm, that's the reward right there because you know they're going to pass it on to all the families who need it, and that's really what it's about. But when you can move them to excitement, you know that something special is happening because they, they're doing this every day. We're about to have one final story, at least for our radio station today. The stories continue. Tom, for, for we do it one day a year, but the Tom Coughlin J-Fund is, is year-round. The Radiothon is one day, but the J-Fund is 365. If people want to donate next week or if their paycheck comes in and maybe they can donate in two weeks, how can they get involved with the J-Fund 
any day of the year. Well, tcjfund.org is their website, and you can always reach the members of the J Fund through their website any day. They're, they also have a phone number on there that you can call too. One of the things that we have heard over and over again from the families is they're so accessible. Mm-hmm. They, it's easy to reach them, and they're quick to respond to needs. Volunteers, people love to volunteer for the J Fund because of the good work that they do, and uh, they always do need more volunteers. So maybe you can't give financially, or maybe you can only give a little bit financially, but you want to volunteer. You can volunteer all year round for the J Fund because they're always doing things. And what's so wonderful and special about the J Fund is they try to make everything fun. They try to bring a happy, joyful experience to everything that they do because they know how important that is and they know that's what people need who are struggling. You know, we've heard a lot about struggle today and suffering and we've seen a lot of strength, we've seen a lot of kindness, and we've seen people that care and Uh, We've seen people who battle and who are grateful, thankful people. And so working with a J-Fund, that's just a joy because that's what what they are. They are joyful people who want to help other people. And so uh, if you want to be a J-Fund volunteer, go to the website, tcjfund.org. All year round, there are opportunities where you can help out and be part of the joyful experience that is the J-Fund. Again, the Radiothon is not over. We're going to take it up to 10 o'clock. You can text GOAL to 243-725. You can also go to the website, tcjfund.org slash Radiothon, if you would like to give to this great cause that helps families right here in our local area, the Tom Coughlin J-Fund. Tom Champion, great work, my friend. 200 and $65,000 raised today for the J-Fund. That is absolutely incredible. And I'm sure you'd like to say one more thank you to the men and women of Jacksonville, Florida. I would like to say great work, Jacksonville. Great work to you who are listening, who took time out of your day to care enough to help somebody who needs your help. Thank you, and God bless you. Tom Champion, great job, buddy. Really appreciate it. Again, text GOAL to 243-725. You can also donate up until 10 o'clock tonight for the Radiothon at tcjfund.org slash Radiothon. Let me set the scene for you tonight. Uh, We'll do a big deal of the night in just a moment. We're going to have Cecil Shorts, former Jaguar wide receiver. He's going to come on to break down the Jags-Texans. He was actually on the sideline of that game in Houston on Sunday. We'll certainly look ahead to Monday night football as well. Also, my buddy Ryan Fowler of Bleacher Report, as we'll not only talk Jaguars, but we'll talk a little AFC South as well. Both of those guys are coming up within the hour. But one more guest here to talk about the J-Fun and what it means. We've heard so many stories today on all the shows here on 1010XL. It's uh, my pleasure to welcome in Stephen, who will be our final person to speak to the Radiothon tonight. Stephen, how are you? We're doing really well. How are you doing tonight? Steven, we're good. Thank you for the time. Thank you for joining us at this hour. Uh, you are the father of Lillian, 
who was diagnosed yeah. with a, a form of leukemia. And and look, yes, we, we've been telling Stephen stories all day about the J Fund and what this money goes to to help parents and, and families battling this situation. Just speak to the J Fund and, and, and what they've done for you and your family. Well, um, I guess for us, where it really helped was um, we were cancer. The cancer was really rough. Like I, my wife's a stay-at-home mom. I was an engineer, but I couldn't do my job with you know the kid going to the hospital all the time. So we were. Uh, they just helped with a lot. They helped cover rent. They helped cover. Um, automotive maintenance that <laughs> gave us gas cards. Um, it just with, we would have to intermittently just in the middle of the night, she'd get a fever and we'd have to rush her to the hospital because it could be, um, something that could kill her. So it's, you know, you don't have time to, to worry about anything else in life. And they helped cover stuff whenever we couldn't Steven, I got to tell you, man, I uh, I got a four-year-old myself, and I know Lillian's four as well, and I, I just, ugh, I, I can't imagine what this road has been like for you and, and your wife and, and your family, uh, and I know the financial struggles that you guys have had based on, on the situation here, and the J Fund has certainly helped you out in a lot of different regards. A lot, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's an yeah. unbelievable situation. I, I mean – you speak about, you know, gas for your car, right? Bills to, to keep the lights on at your house. I don't know if, if people really even think about that. I mean, obviously, you know, your first and foremost priority is your child and, and getting them the treatment that they need. But life doesn't stop, Stephen, right? I mean, you speak to this better than, than I can, certainly. Life goes on yeah. and you got to take care of, the, of those responsibilities. Yeah, we got a, she had uh, two older brothers and, you know, whenever she got diagnosed, we spent that first, like it was 21 days of that first month. My wife and I were living out of the hotel, sorry, out of the, the hospital room. And, um, my, the, my mom was having to watch the kids, um, at home. And it's like, we couldn't really do anything else. There was like, there were times where, you know, we just would have to go rush to the hospital in the middle of the night, the middle of the day. We'd have treatment five days a week um, sometimes. And it's, you you know, you can't, you can't do anything else. You just have to stay on the regimen, stay on the schedule. It was nine months of, of intense um, chemotherapy. And then another uh, month, I sorry, year and a half, after that of, of maintenance chemotherapy and even through that year and a half, if, you know, stuff happens, like, you know, she, she got COVID and HMV, human metanumovirus twice. And she almost died during one of the procedures. And it was just, you know, Stephen, <laughs> look, I, I, I do it. I, I'm not an emotional guy. I think most people around the radio station will tell you that. But I was forwarded an email, I believe it was your wife, that wrote yeah. a letter that was addressed to cancer. And she was yeah. talking to cancer directly in this letter. And I'm reading this thing before the show tonight, and I almost had to stop midway through uh, just what this has done to your family. But on the flip side of that, things are, from what I understand, beginning to turn the corner. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, Lily, she finished her, 
her chemo January 30th, and she got her porticath out in uh, in May. Um, so we're just doing uh, monthly visits to the hospital uh, for the first couple of years. And then, you know, it's like, so she's back. She was back in school. Um, and, you know, it was great because even at the end, uh, we, the TCJ fund, they were giving us, they had tickets to the, to the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp game. That was really awesome. <laughs> um, we got to go to one of the Jaguars games. That was really awesome. Other than the fact it was like 95 degrees, <laughs> but that was, it was still an exciting game. Um, and it was just stuff we would have never been able to do. And like, uh, Tom Coughlin, they, you know, just helped give us a lot of, uh, hope on that other side, you know, give it, help take our mind off things. It was really great. Steven, final thought from you. We're we got a lot of people that are probably driving around right now. They've been thinking about, you know, should I donate? What, where does the money go? All right, one more time. You can text GOLD to 243-725, or you can go to the website, tcjfund.org slash radiothon. Stephen, the floor is yours, man. Tell people here in Jacksonville why they should donate to the Tom Coughlin J Fund. Why should they donate? Just out of empathy, out of sympathy that, you know, it's, it's stuff that we never, ever would have ever thought would have happened like the, the cancer diagnosis it's not like you see it coming it's not like you know it, it's indiscriminate we we spent years trying you know trying to be healthy and she was she was great she never got sick for the first 18 months of her life and then cancer came out of nowhere and everything changed so if if you just give it's not even for us anymore we're out of it but i i feel bad for the other families who don't have strong families along their side or single, single parents. We've met several single parents who don't have anyone else who don't have family or church or friends who, cause that's their entirety of their life is trying to keep their kids alive, get them to the, the hospital. And so give just to help keep the lights on, just to help keep food on the table it there's the government government like medicare and and food stamps it took forever to get it it was not enough um ever <laughs> so it's the tom coughlin helped a lot um it helped fill in the gap Boy, that's, I mean, I, you don't need a better testament than that. That is powerful. Steven, God bless you, my friend, your family. And uh, so Lillian's doing uh, doing well, right? Things are things are looking up for her. How How is she enjoying school this year? Lily, you feeling good? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> you enjoy friends this year? Huh? What? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow, what a what a what a special moment, Lillian! You are an absolute sweetheart. I, we're so happy things are doing better for you, Stephen. Thank you for sharing your story, brother. And again, that that letter your wife wrote uh, that got me, man. And uh, best of luck to you guys. We're gonna hope to to raise a lot of money for the J Fund here over the next two hours. And I don't know if you heard earlier, we're already at two hundred and sixty nine thousand dollars today donated to the J Fund on the Radiothon and. The generosity in this community is absolutely incredible. Stephen, you and Lillian have a great night, brother, and we're thinking about you. Thank you guys very much.
Cool. Man. All right. So I'm going to compose myself, <laughs> honestly, for about uh, the next couple of minutes. And then we are going to turn the corner to sports uh, very soon. Uh, but uh, I'll have some closing thoughts on the J Fund. We got Cecil Shorts coming up as well. Again, the text and the website donations will run up until the end of our show at 10 o'clock tonight. Text goal 243725. You can also go to tcjfund.org-radiothon. More to do. Hacker After Dark rolls on, Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. Wednesday night edition right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. I'm Tom Coughlin, and welcome to the J-Fund Radiothon on 1010XL. Please be there for these kids and their families tackling childhood cancer by giving today. Call 207-7070 right now. She had uh, two older brothers, and, you know, whenever she got diagnosed, we spent that first, like it was 21 days of that first month, my wife and I were living out of the hotel, sorry, out of the, the hospital room, and um, my the, my mom was having to watch the kids um, at home, and it's like we couldn't really do anything else. That was Stephen, father of Lillian. We just had him on another just heartbreaking story about what childhood cancer does to families. Now, the good thing in that situation is he actually put his little girl on the phone with us. Lillian is doing better now, four years old. She's in school. But he was just speaking about what the J Fund does for these families. We're going to get to sports in just a moment. My friend Cecil Shorts, former Jaguar wide receiver, will join us in less than 10 minutes. But as we do every night, normally to kick things off a little later than usual, I want to do a big deal of the night here on Hacker After Dark. And, of course, there's only one real big deal today. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. It absolutely never ceases to amaze me the generosity of you, the hardworking men and women of Jacksonville, Florida. This is the 16th year that we as a radio station and I as an employee of 1010XL have been a part of the Tom Coughlin J Fund Radiothon. And I remember 16 years ago, we raised $18,000. And I thought that was enormous. I couldn't believe it. Eighteen grand. It was incredible. The generosity of people. And as the years have gone by, that number has grown and grown and grown. And we don't even have a final tally right now. But at last check, $269,000 was donated by you, the kind, generous people of Northeast Florida, to help these families that have children battling cancer. Again, doesn't matter what your political party is today. It doesn't matter who you root for in a sports sense today. It doesn't matter really anything other than we can all be united by one common fact, and that is no one in Jacksonville, no one listening to my voice right now, wants to see any family suffer more than they have to when they are seeing their children battling childhood cancer. And what the Tom Coughlin J Fund does is incredible. The work they do for these families is incredible. And the work you have done today to donate over a quarter of a million dollars to help these families is incredible. Thank you. It is 
unbelievable, the generous, kind people that we have in our community, and today shows that every single year. And again, if you would like to get in to donate, the phone lines are gone for the evening, but what's not gone is the text, and what's not gone is the website. They're going to do it up till 10 o'clock this evening. You can text GOAL to 243725. That's GOAL. Text that to 243725, or you can go to their website, tcjfund.org slash radiothon. There's also a link to that website on our homepage at 1010XL.com if you would like to donate and get involved to help local families, again, local families in our area that have children battling childhood cancer. On that note, we will get on to the world of sports. We will keep you updated on the J-Fun throughout the evening. Jaguars, huge win on Sunday in Houston. A man that was there actually played for both teams during his career. You remember former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts. He lives in Houston. He's also a former Texan. He was on the sideline for that game Sunday. Cecil joins us every week here on Hacker After Dark. We'll get his thoughts on the Jags' big victory, and we'll look ahead to Monday night football. How about this as a side note, Denmark, and talking to Cecil earlier today, we talk about Monday night football 12 years ago. The last time it was here, 38-14, the San Diego Chargers at the time beat the Jaguars. That was Cecil Short's rookie year. He caught a touchdown in that game. Huh, caught funny. a touchdown in that game the last time Monday Night Football was here in Duval County. Let's talk Jags with my friend Cecil Shorts next Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Bengals. Monday night, the first time Monday night football comes to Jacksonville since 2011. If you can believe that, it's been 12 years when the Cincinnati Bengals roll in. Let's preview that game and let's certainly look back on the big win in Houston with Cecil Shorts, former wide receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's with us every week here on Hacker After Dark. Cecil, how you doing, man? You know what? You brought back some memories. You said 2011. Well, in 2011, that was my rookie year, and that was my first ever touchdown in the NFL against the Chargers. Oh, Monday wow. Night Football in 2011. So that's <laughs> – I think we got killed that game, but <laughs> I had my first ever touchdown. No, that's, that's awesome. Cool. I, I did, yeah, it was 38 14 <laughs> Chargers. And come to think of it, I remember your touchdown, actually, as a matter of fact. Yeah. But that's crazy, yeah. right? That it's been 12 years since Monday Night Football has come here. Yeah, it's been a while, man. I kind of just assumed in the, the Jalen Ramsey air um, that you guys or the Jacksonville Jaguars had Monday Night Football. I guess it hasn't, I guess it hasn't been that long. I didn't realize it. Yeah, long time. We'll get to that in a moment. But, Cecil, we got to take a look back. You're a former Jaguar. You're also a former Texan. And, boy, you nailed the game. I mean, you nailed it. You actually (laughs) said 24-21, and then you changed it at the very last minute to 27-24. But we'll give you credit, man. I mean, you were spot on with the Jaguars by a field goal over the Texans. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I knew it was going to be a hard-fought game. You know what I mean? Anytime it's a division opponent, it's always hard fought. But there was some uh, some things that really mattered. I think Jacksonville came out to really make a point. 
Um, and obviously they came out and they got the victory, but I think they really were motivated this week. Me and you kind of hit on it. They were overlooked. They're still overlooked. I mean, even the conversation after the game in Houston is like, hey, CJ is – we lost, but CJ is still better than Trevor. <laughs> it's like where he outplayed Trevor, right? So it's still like they're – they were – they came in motivated. They had a chip on their shoulder, uh, and they went out there and they executed. I absolutely loved their defensive game plan, and it worked to perfection. So I, I was not uh, surprised by it. Um, but, man, I tell you what, it was a really, really good game. Former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts with us here on 1010XL. Cecil, 90% of this will be Jaguar-related, but quickly, you live out in that area. You mentioned the reaction out there. I know they're upset about the officiating, but what is the thought in Houston about the loss last Sunday? Um, a lot of talk about officiating. I think there was some blatant calls that were missed, which was fair. Well, there are also blatant calls uh, against Jacksonville or on the Jacksonville side that were missed as well. I think they were evenly just bad calls <laughs> across the board. It just happened to be when you're in Houston, you notice all of your calls, right? Um, whether it was pass interference a couple of times, they called pass interference on Steven Nelson, and he didn't even touch a guy. But I think they were trying to call it on the slot receiver on um, Evan Ingram and uh, uh, Thomas, who was checking him. So it was a lot of, a lot of talk about that. But the conversation is, okay, did C.J. outperform Trevor, right? Okay, Texans, they're still good. Um, that's a playoff team in Jacksonville. They competed. It was a hard-fought game. We actually have a good team. Let's, and they, they were kind of hard. They're kind of hanging on it. You know, the different field goal talks and missed spot here and there. But Houston's excited that they're actually in competitive. They're actually competitive again. Uh, for, you, know, you know, for a while they were kind of kind of just uh, hanging on by a thread. Um, but they have a quarterback. They have some young talent, um, and they're moving forward. Yeah, and they got a big one this week against Denver. It'll be kind of nice here in Jacksonville. Denver, Houston, and Indianapolis, Tennessee. We can kind of kick yeah. our feet up and watch those games getting ready for Monday night football. From the Jaguar point of view last week, Cecil, the season could have gone one of two ways after San Francisco, and I think you and I even talked about it. It could tailspin out of control, or you yep. could learn from that game, grow from it, and make it better yourself. And I think clearly yep. the Jaguars have done the latter. They have looked very good in the last two ball games. You know, it's hard playing after a bye week. You were in momentum. Uh, we talked about the crazy schedule they had, winning five in a row. You have some off time, and then you're trying to get back into it, and you're going against a really, really good, uh, fired-up, healthy San Francisco team that wanted to prove a point, right? Um, you got your butt kicked. But the leadership that comes from the coach, the leadership that comes from the players in the locker room, to come out there and get these back-to-back -back victories is a big, big deal. And they do it in a big way. Um, they handled the victory right after San Fran. I can't remember who that team was. Um, and then they came in Jacksonville, or they came in Houston in a big game and handled their business. Um, the better team won, if I'm honest, that Sunday. The better team won. They're 8-3 and three for a reason. So they came out there. They dominated the front. They won uh, the offensive line and defensive line and made a point and said, hey, we're going to pressure C.J. Stroud. We're going to get a ton of pressure on him and make somebody else beat us. So you're going to have to get outside the pocket. You've got to move. And CJ made some plays here and there, but he was not comfortable. He was banged up. He was limping. They did an excellent job. So, man, it, it just shows the leadership, the poise that they have. Um, that's what you want to see from a playoff team. You know, you take the last two games, the win here over Tennessee and the game out there against Houston, 2-0. and But Trevor Lawrence is the story. 620 yards passing. 
in the last uh, two games. Six total touchdowns, three through the air. He's also run for three. Cecil, what have you seen in the last two weeks? Why is this Jaguar passing game better now than maybe it has been all year? Number one, he's healthy. Number two, I think Trevor is better when he gets some rhythm, um, either outside the pocket or in a running game. So when he can move outside the pocket, we saw a lot of boots this past Sunday against Temple against uh, Houston. So you play action, they're booting him out the pocket, and he's comfortable when he's moving, when he's able to see down the field. Uh, the play action passes they did deep down the field was were exceptional, and he was like, I think, 7 to 14 on passes uh, that were in the air 10 yards or longer. Um, but he is coming to his own. I think he's healthy, and I think he's – I mean, honestly, I think he's hearing the noise. <laughs> I think he's hearing like, hey, you know, is Trevor this good? You know, is, is, is Trevor – the 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 next protege of this or is he just a letdown is he you know he should have been number one pick or would you take cj over him like as a player you hear these things and you never want to let external motivators always motivate you or be the main reason you're motivated but it definitely helps um so i think him being healthy him being motivated and then him just being the leader that he is him being calm cool and collected um but what i saw against houston firsthand on the sideline he was on fire brother like he he was on pinpoint accuracy. The one interception, I, I'm blame the referees for that. <laughs> it was clear holding on uh, on Ingram, I believe. But man, he is when he's outside the pocket and able to run with his feet. He is in rhythm. He feels comfortable. I think he's not comfortable when he has to sit in the pocket and go through his progression one, two, three. He's not there yet. But we can get him outside the pocket. He can survey the field. He's good to go. Former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Short. Cecil, I was talking with Leon Searcy about this on the postgame show on Sunday. I'm interested in your thoughts as well. You spent seven years in the league. You can certainly speak to it better than most. The Jaguars are 6-0 and outside of Jacksonville. Now, they only get credit for five of those because apparently the Wembley Stadium game in London was considered a, quote, home game. So they only are credited for five. But they've won six games, two in London, Indianapolis, New Orleans, Pittsburgh, and Houston, all outside of Duval County. Leon raved about that on Sunday. Well, what's your thought about the Jags being 6-0 and away from home? That's huge, brother. Like, that shows um, composure. It shows that you can step up to the challenge. It shows as a team you can handle different environments. And you never know how the playoffs are going to be, right? I, mean, I believe right now they're the number one seed. But you never know how things lay out at the end of the day. So to be, be, to be that confident that you can go on the road anywhere, whether it's London, <laughs> whether it's, you know, Pittsburgh, different atmospheres, and get a W, that is huge. Like, you can't, you can't memorize how important that is, right? Because you, you, almost, you almost feel unbeatable. Because you should feel complete at home. You should you should feel pretty confident at home. But if you're confident on the road and you do it over and over and over, and in this case, six times, that's a huge deal. Like you're proving a point that we can play anywhere and kick your behind and still execute no matter what the atmosphere is, no matter what's going on around. And that's rare in the NFL. That is rare. So this is a really big deal that they are actually 6-0 and when it comes to being on the road. And with all due respect, uh, Arizona, Carolina, teams of that sort, I mean, they went into Pittsburgh in bad weather and won. They yep. went into Indy yes. on opening day and won. They went Tough to that place. dome in New Orleans on Thursday night and won. And then yep. Houston in the battle red, which, by the way, I yep. love that uniform combo. They went out there sweet. and won. So they're winning in some very tough environments. Uh, Josh Allen is getting a lot of talk here this week. He was a ferocious monster. 
on Sunday, particularly in that final drive, sacking C.J. Stroud twice. What did you see out of Allen and Walker and that Jags D-line? They did a heck of a job, man. Um, well, that's my first time really seeing him up close, and I didn't realize how huge he was. But at the same time, you know what's funny? My wife pointed something out because she was at the game. She was like, see, so Jacksonville's Jag, their their defensive line is, they're big, but they're they're not like the fat type. They're real athletic fast and they're using their speed to get to cj i said baby you better know your stuff (laughs) you better know your stuff i'm like absolutely so you've seen josh allen who is powerful use his agility use his speed use his combinations to really put pressure on those tackles and cj literally was on the move almost every pass play he had to make adjustments he had to get out of the pocket he had to scramble he had to he had pressure on him i think it ended up with two maybe three sacks but the fact that him and Trayvon Walker or Trayvon Walker got so much pressure, the D line as a whole got so much pressure. And a lot of the time, it wasn't like they were sending six, seven guys. They did at times. They did at times, um, and that and at the times they did, they were successful. But a lot of the times, it was just pressure from the front four, maybe five. So it was impressive that they felt like I think coming to the game, they felt like they can get pressure on CJ. They liked their matchup against Tunsil, against um, whoever the other tackle was, George Font. They liked their matchup. They thought their guys were better, and they went out there and they executed highly. And it was, it was from the first series on, and they were on CJ's behind all dang on day. Then, of course, when you look at how they stopped the run, it was exceptional. They already were one of the top teams when it comes to stopping the run. Um, but to slow down a team that would just ran for 150 yards a week before, 112 yards after that, they were kind of getting things going in the run game and completely shut it down. Um, this is a really big deal for – Josh Allen in that defensive line. A couple of more for former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts. He's with us every week here on Hacker After Dark. That brings us to Monday Night Football. As you said, you scored a touchdown your rookie year the last time Monday Night Football was here in Jacksonville 12 years ago. So, Cecil, if you're Josh Allen, if you're Trevor Lawrence, if you're a lot of these young Jaguars that have never played anywhere else, it's their first Monday Night Football experience. How excited are you but in the same token how much do you have to kind of temper yourself a little bit so you don't get too jacked too early (laughs) um you're the only game on television like the only game on national television the national stage you are so jacked up um the preparation for that week is different because you have an extra day to prepare right you played sunday usually it's sunday to sunday and we know about Thursday nights being shorter, right? Everybody, you know, walkthroughs and uh, jog through practices. People hate them, whatever. But Monday, it's like an extra day. So you come in that extra Saturday. You may come in on a Sunday, just an extra day to prepare so you know what's going on, you know what's happening. You get so amped up and there's so much time to get amped up. You really got to control yourself. <laughs> you really got to temper yourself down. Because this is what you dream of doing since you were six years old. Seven years old, high school, whatever. Like you watch the Monday Night Football game, you see it on ESPN, you see it on Sports Center. You've seen this your whole life. Now you're on it. And for it to be back in Jacksonville, um, I'm expecting it to be jam packed there. I'm expecting the excitement to be crazy, the atmosphere to be crazy. I remember Monday night in Jacksonville, my rookie year, and we weren't that good. It was jam packed there. It was so exciting just to be in that atmosphere, right? Um, and then I remember scoring that touchdown. Everybody's up and raised their hands and get excited. Woo! So I can't imagine what it is, what it is right now when you're eight three, number one in the AFC, 
and you're going against a Bengal team that doesn't have Joe Burrow. Like, they should be chomping at the bit, brother. Like, this should be a big-time game to really continue this win streak. Get back on the – like, you won two in a row. Like, no, you won five, excuse me. You lost to San Fran. Now you won two. Continue with three. You're probably one of the hottest teams in the NFL. Like, you you're, you can really make a statement if you dominate this game. So, if those guys come out there and don't let the atmosphere um, – and they're able to control the atmosphere, like control their emotions, they should be fine. See, so Cincinnati has talent. They're desperate. They're five and six. They basically have to win on Monday night to have a chance at the postseason. Um, mm-hmm. And I understand Joe Burrow's out, and that's huge, obviously. I'm not downplaying that. But with Jamar Chase and Boyd and Mixon, and we'll see what T. Higgins' status is later in the week. I mean, put us in the mindset of those Bengal skill position guys, knowing they got a backup quarterback, knowing they got to take their game to another level to help him out. Any any pass that comes your way, you got to make the most of it because you don't know. Especially after watching Jacksonville play Houston, when you see that film, when you see Josh Allen, and you see Walker, and you see the rest of the guys get pressure on CJ and him having to running everywhere, you're like, hey, we got to get the ball out quickly. And when the ball does come our way, we got to make the most of it. We got to help our quarterback out. So their mindset is, hey, if you just be Chris Paul, give me a chance, give me an assist, I can help you. I can be there for you. Like you said, they got playmakers out there behind. They got. Uh, T. Higgins, hopefully, and then Tyler Boyd and Joe Mixon and, of course, Jamar Chase. If the quarterback can get it near them, they can make plays. Um, But that's the thing. That pass rush is going to be critical. (laughs) And then it's a backup quarterback. He's a backup for a reason. No offense to him. Um, So if you're you're a skilled player, you're thinking, okay, I got to make plays, not force things, but when the ball comes my way, I really got to make a play and help my team out. And, you know, you look at that Cincinnati secondary. They lost guys last year in free agency like Jesse Bates and Von yep. Bell. They got a lot of youngsters yep. back there, Cecil. So I think they start two rookies back there. So if I'm Ridley, Kirk, Ingram, Jones, the Jaguar skill position guys, you're licking your chops a little bit, right? Man, listen, you are salivating at the mouth right now because you they're down without their quarterback. They're rookie, like you said, mentioned they're two rookies back there. Their weak part of their secondary or their defense is the secondary. So to be able to attack that, you're hot right now. I mean, I don't know how many yards he threw for last week, Trevor Lawrence. He was dropping downs to everybody. Yeah, 364 like every, every, last week. This is like every time I looked up, it was a crossing route with Ridley coming this way. And then towards the end of the game, it was a big play from uh Kirk. It was just they are they are have they have a rhythm right now. And it's a trust right now that they have that. They need to continue, and I think it will continue Monday night. Cecil, not to put words in your mouth as we wrap up, but it sounds like you like the Jaguar chances on Monday night. I'm expecting them to kick their behind. That's just my honest thought. That they should they should go out there and kick their behind, whether it's 28 nothing or just like they they should go out there and handle the game well, kick their behind, and let's get better. Let's go nine and three, stick your number one, stay at number one in the, in the AFC, and really make a statement like, hey, we're here to stay. Former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts is with us every week here on 1010XL. Cecil, appreciate the time. Know you're busy, my man. We'll do it next week. When the Jaguars go to Cleveland, it'll be a short week. It'll be interesting next week. We'll see what happens. We'll talk to you then, my friend. Thank you. Hey, thank you, man. Anytime. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. There is still time to donate to the Tom Coughlin J Fun Radiothon. Again, already received from you, the hardworking men and women of Northeast Florida, over $265,000 in donations today for the J Fun to help families in our area that are 
that have children battling childhood cancer and that money goes to pay car bills and house bills or maybe even put gas in the car, things you don't even really think of. But when you have a sick child and you're in the hospital constantly and you're back and forth to the doctor and it just I can't even imagine how the bills pile up, but life goes on, man. Things still need to be taken care of. And this money today and what the J Fund does year-round goes to help these families. And if you would like to donate, there is still time to do it today. You text GOAL, that's G-O-A-L, text GOAL to 243-725. That's 243-725. Or you can go to the website, tcjfund.org slash radiothon. There's also a link to that website on our homepage at 1010XL.com. One hour down, one hour to go. We're with you till 10 o'clock. We're going to do a lot of NFL talk, some college talk in the 9 o'clock hour. Before we get there, we have five high school football teams remaining in our listing area. Five. And all five are in the state final four of their given classification. It's been a good postseason in Northeast Florida, and that's true down in St. John's County with the St. Augustine Yellow Jackets. Brian Braddock is their head coach. They are undefeated on the year. They will host a state semifinal Friday night against Fort Myers Dunbar, who's making the trip up for a right to play in the state championship game next week. I had the chance to catch up with Brian Braddock of St. Augustine High School, and here's that conversation on Hacker After Dark. Let's ring up another guest on the All Pro Roofing phone line. High school spotlight rolls on 1010XL 92.5 FM as we have five teams left in the state final four for their given classifications. It has been a great year for Northeast Florida in the postseason, and that includes St. John's County with the St. Augustine Yellow Jackets. They got revenge over Choctaw last week. They are in the state Final Four, and they are actually hosting a state Final Four game on Friday night. With that, Brian Braddock is the head coach of St. Augustine, and he's with us here on 1010XL. Coach, how we doing? Doing great. How are you today? Coach, we're good. All right, boy, last week a back-and-forth game against a good Choctaw team. You guys get it done in the fourth quarter to advance to the state Final Four. You must have been very, very pleased. Yeah, really, really happy um, with how our kids played, you know, especially being down 17-7 early in the second quarter. And um, they're an outstanding football team, so it was a great accomplishment for us to come back and win that game. Coach, look, we talked about it last week. Whether you want to call it revenge factor, motivation, whatever you want to call it, you don't often get a second chance in life, but your seniors and your juniors got a second chance against a team that eliminated them last year. Did that mean a little extra something in the postgame locker room? Uh, for sure, but I mean, I, I think only to the extent that we know how good they are, you know, and obviously they ended our season last year, so it was they, they certainly had our attention. Um, but more than anything, it was just that they're an outstanding football team, and we knew we'd be pushed, and um, was just really proud that we were obviously were, were, were pushed to a great extent. And, um, you know, from that 17-7 deficit on to be able to, you know, outscore them 28-9 the rest of the way, it was just a credit to our kids, you know, character and, and fortitude. And um, they just stayed calm and kept playing and, and did the job. Brian Braddock, the head coach of St. Augustine. Coach, I know the job is not finished, and we're going to certainly get to the future, which is uh, Friday night in the state Final Four. 
But 12-0, and 0, man. I mean, did you take time over, you know, the weekend to, to think about that? Not, there's not a lot of teams that can say, well, we're 12-0, particularly with the schedule that you played. Yeah. Um, you know, no, to be honest, um, not not at this point. There's just, uh, you know, at this point, it's kind of you're, you're all in with everything you've got to exhaust every resource to uh, give your kids every chance uh, possible to be successful. You know, we're we're going to be sitting here, um, you know, if, if, if best case scenario, if we can win, we'll be sitting here a week from Friday done, like completely done, done, done. So, um, you know, at this point, there's no time to really think about accomplishments thus far this year. Um, you know, just pouring everything into what, what, what we have in front of us, you know, obviously really proud of being regional champions and certainly being undefeated is something that we're proud of, but haven't thought about it too much, if I'm honest. Coach, we'll get to the future again in a moment. But as we mentioned, five Northeast Florida teams and their given classifications are playing in the state final four. You guys, Bradford, Bowles, Mandarin, and Trinity Christian. What does that say to the talent in Northeast Florida that we have five schools still standing? Yeah, there's a lot of really good football players. And, um, you know, in addition to that, a lot of really good programs that um, those those football players – uh, get great opportunities to maximize their ability and, and perform at a high level in. And um, it's just great for our area. Brian Braddock, the head coach of St. Augustine. All right, coach, Fort Myers, Dunbar. We'll make the trip up here on Friday night. Truthfully, I don't know a lot about them except one thing. And looking at their scores, they appear to have a pretty good defense. Yeah, they, they certainly do. They're outstanding on defense, um, extremely athletic, um, a really talented defensive line. And um, that's that's kind of carrying them through the playoffs, you know, based off those scores. They're holding everybody they play uh, to, to one or two scores. And um, they're a very, very talented football team. They play very hard. Um, you know, they're making a return trip to the semifinals. Um, so we know that they'll be ready to play. Again, not knowing too much about them, I've done a little bit of research. They were the four seed in their region of eight teams, uh, but yet they're 11-2 and two on the year. I guess that just speaks to the talent in South Florida. Yeah, yeah, some quality teams in that region with Naples and Golden Gate, whom, whom they've beat, you know, beaten both of them in the last two weeks. So um, they're battle-tested and um, a really good football team. Brian Braddock of St. Augustine. All right, you're at home. Fort Myers has to make that trip up here. I don't know what that is, probably four, four and a half hours plus. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to have another team? Because you've had a lot of that. Choctaw had to do that. Escambia had to do that. Those long road trips to come to your place – you get to be at home again, and Fort Myers Dunbar has to make that trip. How much does that help you? It's tremendous. Um, you know, and obviously it's a benefit to us to be home and be what we're, you know, where we're, we're used to playing and, and used to the routine. Um, but for our community and our school to be able to host a state semifinal is a big deal. So, um, you know, there's nothing about it that's not a positive for us. And uh, just really thrilled. You know, it, 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 I guess that's where the, the regular season, you know, can pay off and, you know, the good fortune we were able to have against some really good teams um, to give us the seeding that, that keeps us at home through the playoffs, and uh, we're very excited about it. Keys to victory Friday night, Coach. If you're playing for a state championship next week, what needs to happen this Friday night? Um, we got to continue to play the way we've been playing on defense, which is fanatical effort, and, uh, you know, take the football away from the opponent, which we've been able to do the last few weeks. Um, offensively, we just need to be us. We need to be physical, and we need to protect the football. If we do those two two things, we've got a lot of talented players. Good things will happen. 
so you know common you know typical coach speak type stuff one 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 other facet is uh you know they've re- they've they they won the game last week on a kickoff return for a touchdown um special teams has been has been big for us throughout the playoffs you know we had we had one rough play friday night but outside of that the last three games it's been outstanding so um you know that'll be a big factor in this game as well but the, the simple things if we just do the simple things well we'll have a chance to be successful Coach, invite them out. You guys are at home in St. John's County, Fort Myers, Dunbar, making the trip for the state Final Four. If people are looking for a ball game to go to on Friday night, that's a very good option there at St. Augustine High School. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah, it'll be a it'll be a seven thirty kickoff. Um, we're thrilled, you know, for our community and our school to kind of kind of be out there for everyone else. I know we're the only game in St. John's County this week, so. We're hopeful that, um, you know, not only do our own fans, our own community come out, we'd love to have anybody out that's interested in a great high school football atmosphere and a great game on Friday night. So uh, we hope to see you at 730 at Brumley Stadium. Brian Braddock, the head coach of the St. Augustine Yellow Jackets. Coach, best of luck on Friday. We hope we're talking to you next week, my friend. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. I'm Tony Baselli, and you're listening to the Tom Coughlin J Fund Radiothon on 1010XL 92.5 FM. This is Tom Coughlin. You can help us be there for these wonderful kids and their families. Please call now. Call 207-7070. Thank you for your support. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Bengals, Monday night, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. The first time in 12 years, you got to go back to 2011 since the last time the Jaguars had a Monday night home game. That ends next Monday when Cincinnati rolls in. Let's talk about that and a lot more with my friend Ryan Fowler. He does a terrific job at Bleacher Report covering the National Football League, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing well. Appreciate you having me on as always. Hey, Ryan, thank you for the time. All right, I'm still trying to recover from C.J. Stroud versus Trevor Lawrence, Ryan. Uh, You do a great job covering the draft. Uh, Now you've moved on to Bleach Report. You do a great job covering the NFL as a whole. C.J. Stroud and Trevor Lawrence, that looks like it's going to be an awful lot of fun for a very long time. Oh, man, I the rest of the AFC South, we know that Tennessee is trying to figure it out, and Indy is as well under center, but – CJ and Trevor going at it for the next decade is just you root for good football. Of course, for Jaguars fans, you want the Jaguars obviously to come out on top like they did last weekend. But watching those two go head to head and as far as how how Trevor has improved since he's come in the league and you watch what CJ has done in year one out of Ohio State where the narrative around Ohio State quarterbacks, he's not Cardell Jones by any means, right? He's, he's obviously proved people wrong in that aspect. He's gotten away from all the five-star talent that he had in college. Those two going at it, it's going to be such a fun battle to watch because they also have hell of a rosters around them as well, on offense and on defense. And that's ultimately what really, for me, Ryan, pushed me over the table in that game is watching Josh Allen dominate the edges of that Houston offensive line. That's where it separated me. But overall, these two are going to be so darn fun to watch this next decade, competing not only in the AFC South for titles to come, but in the AFC and who's going to represent the AFC and hopefully Super Bowls in the years to come. We're going to focus mostly on the Jaguars, but real quick, that's a football catastrophe for Carolina, right? They chose the wrong guy. I, I think so. However, I, however, I did have Bryce Young as my number one quarterback coming out. I thought maybe the move was a little bit premature, but they flat out have to get help. 
for Bryce Young around him. The weapons aren't there. They reached on guys like Jonathan Mingo. Terrace Marshall hasn't developed. Adam Thielen is a skeleton of himself of what he was in Minnesota. And really, Ryan, as well, offensive line has been absolutely abysmal. Chandler Zavala, they overdrafted. Ikem Aquanu, who I loved coming out of NC State, has not been good. So there's a lot of things to get right there. But at the end of the day, and this is where I kind of come to senses with the move, is up top with Dave Tepper. Is he going to allow the football people to do their football job? Because if he doesn't, it's going to be a catastrophe, and Bryce Young could be ultimately become a bust as we move forward into the next few seasons. Ryan Fowler of Bleacher Report. All right, Ryan, back to the Jaguars. The last two games since whatever that was against San Francisco, Trevor Lawrence has thrown for 620-plus yards. And I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but Zay Jones is healthy and back on the field. Now, he's not putting up a lot of numbers, but I almost think the presence of Zay being out there is enabling Ridley, Kirk, and even Ingram to have an easier time of it because clearly there's a correlation. Zay Jones on the field, the passing game is certainly opening up. Yeah, absolutely. I think you have more weapons, right? More weapons, more weapons, more weapons, and athletes in space. And I think you've seen what Calvin really has been able to do. Obviously, Christian Kirk has been excellent. And I even look at the tight ends room as well, right? Evan Ingram coming back. And you drafted Brenton Strange with high draft capital. Hasn't lived up to a ton of expectations, right, in 2023 in his rookie season. But I've loved to see the involvement of Luke Farrell over these last couple of weeks. From Ohio State, high draft capital as well, to consider it. And just more matchups, right? Are you going to take bodies out of the box, lighten it up so we can run Travis Etienne 15 times? Because we can do that too. Or we can run some 12 or even some 13 personnel on you and get heavy and put some play action and, and give more protection for Trevor Lawrence. And we'll throw it down the field a little bit for you. So... I completely agree with you. There's only one ball to go around, so I don't think there's going to be an issue as far as guys saying, you know, why aren't I getting the ball here? Why aren't I getting the ball there? Similar to what we've seen at times with A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, and Philadelphia. But more weapons are more weapons, and you're ultimately trying to force mismatch nightmares, and that's what the Jaggers are doing as they've been excellent, especially the last two months of the season. You know, you go back to the trade deadline. A lot of people around here, Ryan, were upset the Jaguars didn't add a pass rusher. We'll get to that in a moment. But what they did was they added Ezra Cleveland. And at the time, you're thinking, all right, that's kind of weird, right? Why would you do that? And then you see Cam Robinson go down on Sunday. He's been put on short-term IR. He's going to be out at least four weeks. So now Walker Whittle slides from guard to his natural position, a left tackle. And in comes Ezra Cleveland, who started 40-plus games in Minnesota. And I got to tell you, that second half against Houston – that offensive line was cooking in the past game. I mean, Balky, what a job he did getting Cleveland at the trade deadline. Absolutely. And that's ultimately where you not only earn playoff spots, but you right now you look at the Jaguars atop the AFC South, look at the next month of the season with a guy like Ezra Cleveland, if he has to play to potentially clinch the AFC South. Maybe you get Cam back healthy, but it also provides you a window into what Ezra can do on in the inside, not only in his days in Minnesota, but now in Jacksonville. And what Walker can do, as you mentioned, Ryan, on the spot where he's been most comfortable coming out of Stanford at tackle, which he's been pretty darn good at from what I've seen this year for the Jaguars. So I completely agree. Depth is important. You got to have starters pop, but the guys coming in behind them, we've seen it with the Bengals. Who the Jaguars are going to see? Joe Burrow, you lose your quarterback, you lose a lot, but he also loses offensive linemen. That's important. You got to have depth behind them to come in and pre- protect your most important piece. And that is clearly Trevor Lawrence. Ryan Fowler of Bleacher Report. Ryan, I don't have the eye that you do. You cover the draft for a living. You study these guys all the time. But when I look at offensive linemen, my criteria is this. 
if I don't notice you, you're probably doing a good job. Because honestly, the only time I notice offensive linemen is if they're getting beat for sacks or if they're committing penalties. And that brings me to Anton Harrison. More times than not this year, I haven't noticed him. So I think the rookie out of Oklahoma is doing a pretty good job there on the right side. I agree with you. And in watching Anton out of college, the old Oklahoma narrative, right? Big, athletic, but how will they hold up as far as displacing guys when they ask to move vertical in the run game, depending on what you want to do, you run power or you run zone, and how do they anchor in pass pro against guys that can rush off the edge that are 220, 225, or you got a guy like Josh Allen with the Jaguars that's 255, 260, and same with Trayvon Walker, 270, 275, guys that can play up and down the defensive line. And Anton's improved. He hasn't been perfect. Pressure is consistently every other week. But as long as Trevor Lawrence is staying upright, there's going to be pressure. He's not going to be perfect. It is really hard making the transition from the college game in the Big 12 to the NFL. It's a big jump. I don't care if this guy is from the SEC. And he wasn't. It's a big jump there for tackles. I thought Anton's done a nice job. He's absolutely a piece for the future. I know we've had our conversations earlier in the year, Ryan, as far as is Anton the guy? Does he need more time to develop? He absolutely, in my opinion, needs more time to develop. But I want to see him learn under fire. That's what he's been able to do under Doug Peterson, throwing him into the fire. And he's going to be tested these upcoming weeks, especially against Baltimore on Sunday Night Football in a couple weeks, which I can't wait to watch. You mentioned Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker. Let's talk about Josh Allen in a moment because that's the the big story. But first to Trayvon Walker. He's not Aiden Hutchinson. All right, I'm not going to say that he is. Aiden Hutchinson has been better so far. And maybe I'm too much of a stats guy, Ryan, but I did this on my show last week. If you talk about sacks, quarterback hits, uh, tackles, and tackles for loss, those four criteria, and you were to black out the names, Hutchinson and Walker are, like, very comparable. I think Hutchinson has one more sack. I actually think Trayvon had one more tackle for loss when I did it. Uh, I think Hutchinson had two more quarterback hits. I mean, they were basically the same guy. Now, I know Aiden's probably getting more pressures, but for all the grief that Trayvon Walker gets that he's not Aiden Hutchinson, I think when you look at the numbers, the numbers may surprise you a little bit. I agree. I mean, shoot, I'll take 11 pressures over the last three weeks, any day of the week. And even with Trayvon Walker, what we saw at Georgia, we haven't seen it a lot in this Jacksonville defense. At Georgia, he was bumped into one tech, three tech. He would stand up at the five, both in a two-point stance with his hand in the dirt. He would line outside the tight end as a wide nine. This guy's 270, 275 pounds. He's a grown man, and he's not even 23 years old yet, soon to be 23 years old in a little under a month. But his ability up and down the defensive line, you mentioned it. Take the names away. Just look at the numbers. He's active. Now, the sacks right now are not there, and I know the penultimate for edge rushers, which he's lived at five tech so far, is the penultimate. How many sacks does a guy have? But you just watch the tape and the impact that he has, the double teams he forces, rushing twice, meaning the teams will put a tight end to the tackle, make him beat the tight end, then beat the lineman. That's called respect. And again, year two for him, he's continuing to improve. Four, five, six pressures each of the last three, four, five weeks. That tells me a lot about Trayvon Walker. It's not all about sacks, as you mentioned. Watch the tape, watch him play, and he's an impact player on the opposite side of Josh Allen couple more for Ryan Fowler of Bleacher Report. All right, Ryan, that gets us to Josh Allen. He was a ferocious monster on Sunday against Houston. The guy's got 12 sacks on the year. He is about to get paid this offseason. I mean, I, I would at this point basically guarantee he's back here in Jacksonville. There is no way 
they're letting that guy leave with what he's done. Arguably, he's probably in the top five or six for defensive player of the year. I mean, Josh Allen's having his best year of his career, Ryan. What is going so well for him right now? He's, he's just been fantastic. It's the ability to win the inside, win with the outside, win speed to power. Just just so darn good. And I, I want to keep my words PG here, right? But it's so fantastic to watch Josh Allen play football right now because, in my opinion, when you think of Josh Allen, who do you think of? You think of the Buffalo Bills quarterback. For me this year, the best Josh Allen in football has been in Jacksonville on the edge with Josh Allen. He's been simply sensational. Best year really since we saw him out of Kentucky back in 2019. People forget that he was the first-round pick because of the lack of success that Jacksonville had in his first few years in Jacksonville. But you just you align him on the perimeter, you ask him to pin his ears back, and you get after people. We're not seeing any scenarios where he's consistently dropping into coverage or people want to get cute like we saw with Dallas with Micah Parsons when they initially drafted him to be a linebacker before they switched him up front. They're asking him to pin his ears back and get after the quarterback, beat that tackle, and, and just wreak havoc. And they're going to need him to be – a defensive player of the year type of player if they want to reach their ceiling this year because it's not a wild card or a divisional appearance. It is potentially making their way to a conference championship where they haven't seen in a long, long time. The defensive success is about getting after the quarterback, and it starts with a guy like Josh Allen who's just been simply sensational, Ryan. All right, Ryan, 12 years since the last time Monday Night Football was in Jacksonville. It returns next Monday. Cincinnati rolls in. Obviously, Joe Burrow is not there. Jake Browning is. Jake Browning, his first career start last week. He was okay statistically. They only put 10 points on the board and a loss to Pittsburgh. But what are your thoughts on Jake Browning starting his first game in the NFL on the road here in Jacksonville on Monday night? Yeah, I'm interested to see what the initial game script is going to be for Jake Brown. You watch him at Washington in that air raid Pac-12 offenses where he's slung around a bunch. And he can be extremely efficient, but he's going to be hitting guys over the middle of the field. Tight ends and Tanner Hudson, Drew Sample. Jamar Chase gets all the name, right? He's the sexy guy on the outside. Is T. Higgins healthy? Well, they also drafted Charlie Jones and Andre Yoshivas out of Princeton. Are those guys going to be involved? He is an efficient quarterback that wants to live in the 5- to 10-yard area of the offense, he's not going to stretch it down the field. He's not an impressive athlete. He's about a four-seven-five runner. That doesn't move the needle for me as far as I'm threatening the edges with my legs. That's not gonna, what he's going to do. He's a throwback style of quarterback. So linebackers this week, Foye Olakun, Devin Lloyd, who have been excellent, in my opinion, in coverage this last two, three weeks, they're going to be tested over the middle of the field with these tight ends and guys like Trent Irwin to where they want to get the game flow going before they hand it off to guys like Joe Mixon. So if I'm the Jaguars and I'm game planning for Jake Browning, he's not going to scare you threatening the defense vertically. He wants to live underneath, be efficient, be a game manager, which is an okay term to have. It's an okay to be a game manager and just take the underneath stuff, but get in his face. Do not allow him to be comfortable inside the pocket. Because as we know in the NFL, doesn't matter who you are. You're there for a reason. Bengals obviously have trust in him doing a job and in, in keeping them competitive, but you got to get after him and limit the intermediate areas of this offense. I think to get Jackson will be just fine. Yeah, Browning runs around a little bit too. You got to watch those scrambles defensively for Cincinnati. My one thing for them, Ryan, I think they're a desperate team. They're five and six. They're battling and clawing to remain in the playoff conversation, even without Joe Burrow. 
but their secondary is not near as good as it used to be. Obviously, the departure of Von Bell and Jesse Bates, they got young guys back there, a couple of rookies back there. And if I'm Trevor Lawrence and Ridley and Kirk and Ingram and Jones, and I look at that Bengals secondary, I'm licking my chops a little bit. Yeah, Jordan Battle drafted him out of Alabama. He got his first start last week. DJ Turner was the fastest corner at this year's Combine. He's been really good for them this year, was picked on a little bit last week. But you're right. You know, Cam Taylor Britt, he's been had some ball production. Nebraska, second-round pick last year, but he's hurt last week. A lot of young guys, a lot of young names thrown into the fire. Dax Hill, year two out of Michigan, played that jack spot for them, second and third level. They got some names. There's talent, but there's a difference between being a spreadsheet or an Excel spreadsheet type of team and then lining up with guys like Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk. And, oh, by the way, we can run the ball 15, 25 times with Tank and with Trevor, uh, excuse me, Travis Etienne and, of course, Dearness Johnson has gotten some more carries these last few weeks. So it's about being versatile in your offensive approach and threatening these guys down the field. I, I don't think Trevor Lawrence is going to have any – he's not going to shy away right now from a guy like DJ Turner right, or Nick Scott in the perimeter. He's going to – these guys are going to live a little bit this week. They're going to eat a little bit this week, and I do expect Jacksonville to have some success early in this ballgame to get them going. Ryan Fowler of Bleacher Report. Ryan, final question. We've got about 90 seconds to go. It's a four-team free-for-all in the AFC right now to see what highest seed you can get, one, two, three, or four, between the Dolphins, the Jaguars, the Ravens, and the Chiefs. How would you assess those four right now heading into the month of December? Oh, man, it's so fun. This this group of four, again, I, I mentioned the Jags and Ravens on Sunday Night Football in a couple weeks. So excited to see that. You know me and my thoughts on Patrick Mahomes. I don't want to sit here and talk about 15 in Kansas City, but as long as he's there, they're going to have a shot. Miami, I still need to be proven a little bit with Miami on offense and defense. Losing Jalen Phillips is obviously huge for them. We'll see how Jason Pierre-Paul fits in that edge rotation for them. But if I look at these top four teams, ranking them right now, I'll still go Kansas City top. I'll go Ravens two. I'll go Jaguars three, and I will go Dolphins four right now as we sit here uh, right after Thanksgiving. It's going to be a lot of fun, no question about it, over the next six weeks of the NFL regular season. Ryan Fowler does a terrific job for Bleacher Report. He's one of our guys here on 1010XL. Ryan, we appreciate the time. Know you're busy, brother. Thank you as always, and we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much as always, Ryan. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Well, the Florida Gators season has officially come to an end, 5-7 and seven on the year. Billy Napier now sits at 11-14 and 14 through 25 games, and there are certainly a lot of questions as we look into the future. With that, we welcome in my friend Graham Hall, 247sports.com. He does a terrific job covering the Florida Gators down in Gainesville, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Graham, how you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Hope everyone else is doing well out there. Uh, pretty disappointing end of the season for the Florida Gators. Just further disappointment as the Gators drop another game that they were leading that looked like a winnable game, especially late there with a FSU team that was missing its star quarterback in Jordan Travis. But Florida, once again, could not get it done. And nothing now really to, to look forward to over the next month outside of the recruiting class with Florida missing bowl eligibility, Ryan. Graham, I tweeted out on Saturday night, don't be thankful that it happened. Be thankful that it's over. To me, that was the motto of the 2023 Florida Gators here over the last couple of weeks. 
Um, just a bad, you know, bad five game stretch after five and two. And what was frustrating to me, Graham, is look, you lose to Florida State. All right, we hear about culture, right? Building the culture. And I got guys hocking loogies in people's faces and getting ejected. I got a guy throwing his coach's hand off his shoulder who's trying to restrain him. I got two guys trying to kill an opposing quarterback, sliding down five yards shy of a first down. I mean, that was that was a cluster you-know-what Saturday night, correct? Yeah, I mean, the first couple incidents, I think, you know, with, with Lions and with Eugene Wilson, I, I think you're seeing a culmination of the youth right there with two young guys who are so accustomed to winning at the high school level. And then you get to a program that, you know, has high expectations, but continues to find ways to shoot themselves in the foot. And when that frustration can build up, I I think you can see it boil over a little bit in in that form for young players. Uh, Lions makes sense to me. Eugene Wilson, I mean, that's just a guy who wants to compete. I don't think that Florida's coaching staff, you know, David Doker is going to, uh, have any issue with him long term because of that uh, you know that's just a guy who wants to compete you know and, and about the final um, you know one you just talked about with Jaden Hill and, and another young guy coming in there trying to make a tackle um, on, on the quarterback you know I totally understand why that is just seen as something you cannot do um, you know they're going to protect quarterbacks right now regardless of whether it's college or the professional level. And you, you just can't do that in, in that situation. I understand the competitive effort. Absolutely. That aspect is, is certainly something to account for, but that that's an unfortunate mistake. You know, I see why some people would say it's a lack of discipline. It's unable to perform in the moment as Florida just did, um, you know, a, a week ago in Missouri on that fourth and 17 play. It's certainly, I can understand why people would think it's a lack of discipline. I, I think it's a combination of, of several factors, certainly. Graham Hall, 247sports.com, covering the Florida Gators. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Graham, people are not happy with Billy Napier. Look, I've said all along, you and I have had this talk, he deserves a minimum of three years on the field. Having said that, I don't think there's any doubt that coming into this offseason season he might be on the hottest seat in the SEC, if not one of the hottest seats in the country, because 11 and 14, and the problem, Graham, is they did not seem to get better as the year went on. They seemed to get worse, which is where people are really struggling with this team. I, I think that absolutely the level of competition increased down the stretch. You, you talked about you know playing LSU, FSU, Georgia, those are games, and even Missouri as the season progressed, those were games that it became clear that Florida was going to have a tough time winning those games. And they were, outside of really late the LSU game, they were close games. And, and the Georgia game, of course, too, they're the, losing to, I think, formidable foes and the way that they happen, the context, some of the play calling, uh, the personnel usage decisions, whatever you want to call it, that is also what has led to some of the criticism You've seen scripted drives that have looked really good early on, and then the Gators have kind of gone away from some of their weapons, whether it's Eugene Wilson, Ricky Pearsall. That has led to some of the frustration from the fan base as well when you have two guys who are clearly dynamic talents in in the pass-catching game. Um, Losing Graham Mertz obviously was, I think, a, a blow 
this team's, you know, the outlook for the FSU game, especially because that was an offense that had improved down the stretch, but defensively it did look like they were failing to step up to the level of competition that they were facing throughout the remainder of the regular season. And certainly a lot of that's going to come down to the personnel. Florida has really pushed the narrative that there's a high amount of freshmen they're playing. And that is certainly true. And they have a defensive coordinator that has been here less than a year. He's a young guy as well. And I don't, I think it's, you know, fair to really criticize him in terms of job status this early, given what he was undertaking his arrival and every other factor I just talked about. So, but in terms of the hot seat, I, I do agree with you. I mean, they're facing one of the hardest schedules in the entire nation next year. 11 Power 5 teams. They're playing really everybody in the state of Florida and playing Texas, Texas A&M. It, it absolutely is a grueling schedule next year. And, and a coach that is going to be on the hot seat, I wrote about this on Sunday morning. It's, it makes the upcoming months, really the next three weeks, extremely critical for the Gators. They got to hold the recruiting class together, maybe even add some pieces to it over the couple, you know, three weeks here before early signing day on December 20th. And we'll see what staff changes do happen in the next two months, maybe even into February again. But it is, yeah, if they do not perform well on the field, if they start off in a similar fashion, or drop some early games, this could be a situation where Florida may look to move on from Billy Napier midway through year three. I do want to say, I think that there are some other factors here at play with um, the athletic department and, and how long Billy Napier's leash uh, may be, how much time he does get, because I, I think that they are willing to be patient with him given not wanting to maybe pay another buyout on top of, you know, Dan Mullins there as well. That is certainly a factor in my mind. And you don't often get three chances. That's what people say um, to, to make another hire if the first two don't pan out. So that is, I think, some of the context around this whole thing where I do see a situation where even if Florida goes six and six, seven and five next year, the Billy Napier does get year four. You look around at programs like Missouri and Billy Napier was quick to point this out during his press conference that Eli Drinkwitz, look at how they're performing in year four. Obviously FSU is another comparison that people can make. There is a benefit to giving coaches more time. Absolutely. To build this thing into a uh, contender rather than blowing the whole thing up in, in the midway through year three, before you ever have a chance to reap the rewards. I think that's certainly, is an argument to make here as well. So I'm not totally in the camp that believes even if Florida has a similar finish next year with that grueling schedule that Billy Napier is out in Gainesville. I just want to make that clear. Graham Hall, 247sports.com. All right, Graham, I'm going to throw a lot at you. Let's go rapid fire. The transfer portal. Florida's got to get in there more so than they have in the last couple of years, correct? I think that's fair. I think that they're going to have to move a little bit quicker in the transfer portal. I think that last year they have made some key additions, getting Cam Jackson, Caleb Banks, but you need more of those. You, you Obviously, in, in retrospect, the addition of Graham Mertz was a really, really wise one that they made, and I, I do think when you go down the list of the transfers Florida added that you know half of those guys were able to contribute as 
starters or, or primary guys in the rotation, Micah Mazuka, you know, go down the list. So they just need more of those next season because you need guys who are going to be ready to play right now. Do you expect Graham Mertz to be the starting quarterback at the University of Florida in 2024? I do. I think that it would absolutely benefit him to return. I think that he is the best maybe transition quarterback to not having to throw DJ Lagway into the fire right away as a freshman. Um, I, I don't know what happens with Max Brown and Jack Miller and Michael Leon, who was Florida's backup quarterback on Saturday against the Seminoles, is out of eligibility. So I, I do see this as Florida would absolutely benefit to get Graham Mertz back, and, and it sounds like he's obviously going to be healthy by February, barring any setbacks in his recovery. So he gives Florida the best chance to contend um, with that grueling schedule next season rather than throwing DJ Lagway in there to give him some time to learn and eventually take over the offense after Mertz concludes his collegiate career. Graham Hall, 247sports.com. The first signing day is less than a month away. We know Florida's had about three or four decommitments in the last week or two. Does the rest of the signing class hold? Do they add anybody at the 11th hour? Do you expect them to be able to finish with that top five class somewhat intact? I think they will add a couple to the class here in the next three weeks. I think that certainly is a possibility. With the portal opening in the next week, there are going to be spots that are going to be taken by early portal guys that you want to go after. I I think that is a factor that is going to account for some decisions that are made uh, by this this recruiting staff at Florida. That is certainly a factor. They are going to have to, I think, sell that to recruits as well, that the longer some guys wait, the, the less of a chance of getting in. And I also think that there will be some, maybe not with Florida per se, but there are some that they're looking at who may choose to sign early, not announce it, and then announce it at one of the all-star games, uh, like the All-American Bowl in the first week of January. That is always something that happens. So I, I do think that the class is going to grow, but to answer the other part of your question, I, I do think they are still in danger of losing some players in that class. You look at uh, Amaris Williams, Ohio State has pursued him heavily. It looks like Darius Hayes is still fully locked in with Florida, even though other programs like Miami have continued to pursue him. This is a, a class that they're going to have to try and keep a few of these guys still locked in for the next three weeks here and also look to add to their numbers as well. So one of the benefits, I said this to someone, of being in in need of rebuilding your team so aggressively, um, the way that the Gators are going to have to do is that you're not dealing with these bowl practices as well. You can fully go in on transfer portal evaluations, on the recruiting trail for the next three weeks, rather than preparing your team for a bowl game. Well, obviously you want to get those bowl game practices. Guys are still going to be working out in Gainesville. They can do so at the facility rather than preparing for an opponent. And now the coaching staff is more free to go out on Mondays, on Fridays and recruit and evaluate and spend more time doing that. And it gives you more chance of reloading your class. So that's absolutely one of the benefits of missing out on a bowl game. As far as the transfer portal, Graham, and we got about 90 seconds to go here. Um, we talk about guys that are coming in, guys Florida needs to go get. 
Do you have any concern, whether it's Trevor Etienne, whether it's Eugene Wilson, any of the stars on the Gator team might look for greener pastures elsewhere and enter the portal themselves? I can't say I really have any concern, but that's the reality we live in, right? I mean, there are SEC programs that over the next three months are going to be trying to poach players from other SEC programs. The Gators have added, obviously, from Alabama in the form of Damian George. They went and got Jalen Kimber from Georgia a couple years ago. This is just the world we live in. And, um, you know, in this NIL era, on top of being able to sell competing for you know some hardware being able to compete for a championship that is a factor that you combine those two make it um retention the most important part of nil if you ask me i think people all the time are saying well you know it's, it's used to go out and get players get players well if you're a top powerhouse you need even more nil resources sometimes to incentivize well obviously not directly linking them of course um, incentivize guys returning to your program because they're seeing and hearing about what other guys are getting elsewhere. And if a coach comes calling for you, that is absolutely um, a, a part of the conversation now. So keeping guys like Eugene Wilson, Trevor Etienne, uh, a few other guys, I think you could say on, on the roster, Shamar James is one that you, you obviously want to make sure that you can bring him back as well. That is certainly a huge factor of Florida's rebuilding plan. As far as anybody going pro, I guess what, Jason Marshall, Montrell Johnson, you had any early indications on any of those guys that, that may leave after year three? I, I think that you, you just nailed, um, you know, Jason Marshall is absolutely uh, one that I, fa- I figure will, will end up going pro. I, I know that his stock may have taken a hit this, this season a little bit. People were considering him to be a first-round pick potentially. Um, but I still think he will end up going pro and, and have a successful pro career. Uh, he, he should test well. Obviously, Ricky Pearsall, you know, out of eligibility, he'll be in, in the NFL for sure. The one that I'm really interested in is Prince Liam and Mielin. I think that he's someone who, based on his pass rush win rate and just the way he performed this season in a new position, new new scheme, that he, he's someone who's going to get a chance uh, in the NFL, and I, I think that he may consider it. All right, Graham, leave us with this. The uh, Gator football season in the rearview mirror. Gator basketball, another four and two. It doesn't look great on paper, but I like these guys, man. They're big. They got a lot of depth. Gator basketball should be fun this year with Todd Golden. They do look impressive already. That was a huge win over Florida State. They obviously look really, really good at home and have played some tough neutral site opponents. You know, that's a Baylor team that is one of the best three-point shooting teams in the nation. They're going to be in the national conversation as they have been for the last couple of years there with Scott Drew. Um, that, that's not really a bad loss in my mind, considering you had Micah Hanlogs and out of that game after dealing with that ankle injury. Walter Clayton, who had 28 points over Pittsburgh on Wednesday night, was dealing with an illness. So he wasn't at his best, was kind of a little bit off the mark from shooting and, you know, just uh, obviously looked a little fatigued. So this is a situation where I think this team, when healthy, is really, really good, and, and that's the key. I've said this, they, they have to stay healthy and keep all these guys on the floor because when they are healthy, this is a really deep team that could be a 20-win team um, and fare well in, in the top six, seven of the SEC and make a tournament run if they all stay together and play the way that they're playing right now. 
Yeah, Graham Hall, 247sports.com. Billy Napier needs to take a uh, lesson in the transfer portal from Todd Golden. It looks like he's done a good job there, and I agree with wins over Florida State and Pitt already. Gator basketball certainly looks like they're going to be better than they were a year ago. Graham, I know you're busy, man. Thank you for the time, as always. We'll do it again right around signing day. My pleasure. You take care out there, Ryan. And thank you to Graham Hall, 247sports.com, covering the Florida Gators for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark as we put a bow on the Gators season, although you're going to have news pretty much every day with guys entering the transfer portal. We've had assistant coaches being dismissed already. It's going to be a pretty active time news-wise for the Florida Gator football team, even though there are no games and certainly no bowl games in their foreseeable future. Well, that'll just about do it for what has been a crazy busy uh, Wednesday night edition here at Hacker After Dark. Got a couple of big takeaways tonight. Number one, first and foremost, is the overwhelming generosity of you, the men and women here in Jacksonville, Florida. We'll have a final tally uh, probably sometime tomorrow morning, but I can tell you that the Tom Coughlin J Fun Radiothon, every year it never ceases to amaze me how you, the men and women of Jacksonville, step up for families in our area that have children battling you know, cancer and, and help these families out. I say it every year. Man, it doesn't matter if you're a Gator or a Seminole or a Hurricane or a Bulldog. It doesn't matter if you're a Jaguar or a Steeler or a 49er. No one, no one wants to see families suffer any more than they already are with these bills that are piling up. And if we can do anything to help them, we always try to do that. And that's what the Tom Coughlin J Fund is all about. They do a fantastic job. And you guys here in Jacksonville every year step up to the plate with your generosity, and it is overwhelming. And, again, I know the number is big, what was donated today. We'll have a final tally tomorrow, but I know it was a big, big number, and we cannot possibly – Thank you enough. That is probably the only big takeaway tonight because that deserves to be the only takeaway tonight here on Hacker After Dark. We were absolutely crazy busy. We certainly appreciate everybody hanging out with us tonight. We had a great guest lineup. Again, thank you to Graham Hall, 247sports.com, covering the Florida Gators. Thank you to Brian Braddock, the head football coach at St. Augustine High School as they get ready for a state Final Four game Friday night against Fort Myers Dunbar, who will make the trip up to St. John's County. The winner will play for a state championship next week. Thank you to Ryan Fowler, Bleacher Report, covering the National Football League. And back in hour number one, my friend Cecil Shorts, former Jaguar wide receiver, always kind enough to join us every week here on Hacker After Dark. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Thursday, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for hanging out with us here on a Wednesday night here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Wednesday evening. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for donating money to these families today for the Tom Coughlin J-Fun Radiothon. We'll be with you tomorrow night, beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.